Okay, shall we have a word of prayer? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, what a privilege it is for us to be here this morning. And Father, we want you to teach us how to grow our faith. I personally believe that the concept is easy. And that if we will just put into principle these practices, that our faith will grow. And we pray that you will be with us to this end. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my name is Scott Moore. I, I am the director of Lay Institute for Evangelism. We're located about an hour and 15, 20 minutes from here, depending on how fast you drive, maybe even just an hour. But uh, we're located up in Lady Lake, Florida. We run a 16-week course. You see there on the flyer that you have in front of you. We also run a four-week course, a two-week course, a three-week course. And we also, I didn't bring the flyers in here, we also have a five-week course in Espanol. No, I do not speak Espanol. However, there are many people that do, and the instructors that teach that segment of our uh, program uh, speak Spanish. We hope you will enjoy the pin that you have there, Compliments of Lay Institute for Evangelism. Please check out our website. It's listed on both of those things. But the purpose that you're here for today is not to come to my school, but to grow your faith. And that's what we are going to talk about right now. The concept, like I said, is very easy. Let's turn in your Bibles. If you have your Bible, I want to see it. Let me see your Bible. There's no hymnals in here, so I know that those are Bibles and not the hymnal trick. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Of course, Romans is in the New Testament. Past the Gospels, then you have Acts, then you have Romans, the 10th chapter and the 17th verse. The Word of God reads in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. This segment here is on growing our faith. How is it that we can grow our faith? And the biblical concept of growing your faith is simple. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? By the Word of God. So then, how does our faith grow? By reading or studying the Word of God. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. Our faith grows by spending time in the Word of God. That's a very simple concept, isn't it? Now look at what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. 1 John is near to the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. Now the Bible reads like this in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our what? Even our faith. Our faith grows when we study and spend time in the Word of God. And our faith is what overcomes the world. Listen to this right here. This is from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 3, page 53. She says, we should flee to the what? To the Word of God and to prayer, individually seeking the Lord earnestly that we may find Him. We should make this our what? Our first business. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, and faith comes from studying the Word of God. Do you have that concept in your mind? Yes. 
So if you and I want to overcome the world through this faith, if we want our faith to grow, we will spend time doing what? Studying the Bible. The class is over. You can leave. You know now how to grow your faith. No, it can't be that easy. It can't be that easy. You have an hour and 15 minutes to convince me and teach me how to grow my faith, and we did it in five. It's all you have to do to grow your faith. Have a great day. We'll turn this off. No, listen to this. Satan well knows that all whom he can lead to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures will be overcome by his attacks. Satan knows that if we put to the side God's mechanism for growing our faith, that he will overcome us. Because faith is what overcomes this world. Do you understand that concept? So simply what we are going to do today is we are going to learn how to study this deeper. Some people will come and they will ask, how do you get so much out of your Bible study? I mean, well, what makes the Bible different for you when you study it as for me when I study it? And we're going to talk about that because studying the Bible is the way that our faith grows. How does our faith grow? By studying the Bible. That's absolutely right. Jesus' mechanism for growing faith in his disciples. Turn with me to Luke 24. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book of the New Testament. Luke chapter 24. Now everybody knows the story in Luke chapter 24. There are these two men that are walking to a place called Emmaus. Do you remember the story? These two disciples of Jesus are walking to Emmaus. And while they are walking, the sun is down, it's dark. And these two men all of a sudden are joined by a third man. Now quite frankly, I don't like walking around outside after dark. It's just, you know, I like to see the stars, but I'll look up and then I'll go back inside. I don't like to be in the dark. These two men are walking on a lonely road from where they were over to Emmaus and a third man starts walking with them and they think nothing of it. Go figure. They must have liked walking in the dark with strange people. Who was that third man that walked with them? Maybe that's why they were not alarmed. But they didn't know it was Jesus, did they? Jesus at that very moment could have said to those men, this is me. I'm Jesus. He could have said that very plainly. He could have said right then, instead of waiting for Thomas, he could have said, here guys, put your fingers right here. Put your hand right here. Feel my feet. But he didn't do that. Jesus wanted to instill in these men that even after he was physically gone from this earth, that they could still have that faith-growing mechanism, which is his word. So instead of Jesus just revealing himself to those disciples, Jesus studies the Bible with those disciples. Now listen to this. Verse 25. After they tell him, we don't know where he, Jesus is. Some people say the Roman soldiers fell asleep and he was stolen, but that doesn't make sense because they could be assassinated for that. Uh, somebody says that he was raised. They were confused. And Jesus says in verse 25, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He said, O fools, and slow of heart to what? Believe. Another word for belief is faith. O fools and slow of heart to believe or to have faith in all that the prophets 
have spoken. Then he says in the next verse, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? That word ought, what does that word ought mean? Should. It should have been extremely obvious to those disciples of Christ that he was going to suffer those things, shouldn't it? Well, shouldn't it? It should have been. Just making sure you're with me instead of just, okay. Why wasn't it extremely obvious to those men? They thought Christ died. They were sad. What did Jesus say here? He said, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Jesus is telling them, gentlemen, this is obvious. Had they, they should have what? They should have known it. How would they have known it? By reading the scriptures. So Jesus, instead of just saying, here I am, have faith in me, Jesus goes back to the scripture so that those men can have faith that he is the Messiah. Because after all, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and then to enter into his glory? Notice what he does in the next verse. You're in verse 27. The Bible says in Luke 24, verse 27, and beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, where does he begin? He begins over here at Moses, and he walks through how many prophets? All the prophets. I can imagine that once Jesus started talking, he took baby steps on the road to Emmaus because he wanted to teach these men about who he was, not from his life, but from his writings. He says, the Bible says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, dear friend, dear Seventh-day Adventist, and maybe somebody in here isn't a Seventh-day Adventist, Jesus is giving us his method of growing faith in his disciples. Once they couldn't see Jesus, these men needed to have a mechanism to believe in. They needed faith. And Jesus starts at Moses and all the prophets and explains to them the things that talked about the Messiah. Is that clear? Now, if you and I will sit back and we'll think about it in the Seventh-day Adventist church, we have absolutely no lack of Bible study formats that we can use. We have amazing facts. We have this Life on the Edge DVD set. We have Life on the Edge Bible study guides. We have all of these different ways of studying the Scripture the same way Jesus did, but we are too lazy and we think we know too much in order to put it into practice every day. Why would I want to continue to study the second coming when I already know that the second coming of Jesus is not going to be secret? It's going to be magnificent. It's going to be grand. Why would you want to do that? Because that's what Jesus expects his people to do. The Bible says simply right here that Jesus begins to explain in a topical format. He expounds unto them 
out of Moses and all the prophets, the things concerning himself. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about his death. He's talking about his resurrection. He pulls out references about himself. He gives them a topical Bible study. And you're saying to yourself, this guy up here that's teaching me is crazy. But I want you to notice what happened to those two disciples. Jesus gives them a Bible study on himself. He's the topic. And this is what happens. Look with me in verse 32. Well, we'll start in verse 30. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, so he's going to eat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. So what are they going to do here? They're going to eat. One of the most intimate things you could do in the first century Galilean culture was to have dinner with someone. Then it says there, verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they what? They knew him. Did they know that that was Jesus prior to this moment? They had absolutely no clue, according to Luke. Did they understand better who Jesus was before he revealed himself to them? What did Jesus do to help them understand who he was before he revealed himself to them? He studied the scripture with those men. This is a concept that we as Adventists understand because people will come to our evangelistic meetings and they will say, I have never learned so much out of the Bible in my whole life as I have learned in these first three nights. And my friends, you name me, what are the topics for the first three nights of an evangelistic meeting? Come on. Daniel 2, that's obvious. Signs of the times. The great controversy. At the end of that third great controversy Bible study that's given in an evangelistic meeting, people come up to you and they say, I cannot believe this. I've been in church for 47 years and my pastor has never taught out of the Bible like this. Notice the reaction of these disciples, verse 32. And they said one to another. This is after they know that that was Jesus. This is after he has vanished. This is after he has revealed himself. Verse 32, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he walked, talked with us by the way, and while he did what? Opened to us the scripture. My friends, what was Jesus' mechanism for opening scripture to those two disciples? A topical Bible study. It's not me. I don't have mine on me. It was a topical Bible study. These two men were convinced before Jesus revealed himself to them, they were convinced that the Messiah needed to suffer for those three days. They were convinced that the Messiah or needed to be in the tomb for those three days. They were convinced that the Messiah would be rejected by the leaders of the day. They were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, and it is at that moment that Jesus revealed himself to them. But Jesus used his word to do that. Now, wouldn't it be neat if we could see Jesus do that twice? I mean, if we could see Jesus do that twice, we would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that that's the way Jesus grew faith in his people. You want to see it the second time? Okay. Well, it only took one, and I had a head nod over here and one yes over here. You're in the same chapter, same book. Look at verse 42. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of an honeycomb. They gave this to Jesus. And he took it and did eat before them. 
How many of you have ever heard, by the way, somebody say, well, I can eat fish in these last days because Jesus ate fish after his resurrection. You ever heard that? My friends, you need to come to Lay Institute for Evangelism, and I will show you scripturally why that is not a sound argument. Anyway, I used to use that argument, and then somebody taught me about a year and a half ago. Has it been two years, a year and a half ago, something like that? Verse 43, and he took it and did eat before them. Verse 44, and he said unto them, notice what happens here. These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written, where? In the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus again, not only with the two, but Jesus again wants to grow faith in his disciples. And my friends, they'd been with him for three and a half years Maybe some of, some of us have been Adventists longer than three and a half years. And we're in this very room because we are still not convinced that our faith has the ability to grow. It's simple. Notice the reaction of these disciples in this room when Jesus studies with them topically about himself. Verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Can you have faith in something you do not understand? Okay, now somebody, some people say that's the definition of faith. Is there, is there such thing as blind faith? Really? That's the name of a group. <laughs> There's no such thing as blind faith. You have to have evidence to base a belief on. For instance, every one of you came in here and sat down in a chair. If you came in here and everybody was standing against the wall staring at the chair, would you have sat in the chair? You wouldn't. You came in here and people were sitting down and so you naturally assumed that you could sit down and it would not fall. You have to have evidence to base your faith on and this book contains that evidence. We were teaching at Lay Institute for Evangelism and I was pretending to be in a train car going from Orlando, Florida to somewhere in Texas. Maybe it was Dallas. And I had my students get in this train car with me. You know, we're just right there in front of the classroom. And I said, I want you to lead me to Christ. That's what I want you to do. I want you to lead me to Christ. That's your goal when you get in this train car with me. And so the first student gets in, Heriberto. Love him with all of my heart. He's one of our Spanish-speaking students. And he gets in the car with me. And you know, I don't speak Spanish, but he does speak a little English. So we praise the Lord we were able to communicate. He gets in the car with me. And... Uh, he says, how are you? He goes through the, tell me about yourself. Where do you live? Tell me about your interests, your family's religious faith. And he gives me a short, brief testimony. And he says, you should believe in Christ. And I said, why should I believe in Christ? 
He said, because of my experience. I said, well, I appreciate your experience, but why should I believe in this Christ that is written about in this book? I see you have a Bible in your hand. And he said, because of my experience. I said, but your experience doesn't give me enough evidence to base my faith on. Can you give me evidence to base my faith on in that book? Then I excused him from the boxcar. Another student got in. And what was their goal? What were they supposed to do? Lead me to Christ. What was I asking for? I was asking for evidence before I believed in Christ. The only place we can get that evidence is right here. And it was like four or five students later, and one dear saint of a student, praise God for her, I thought this exercise would go on forever because I was looking for a specific answer. I told them one thing, so they had an agenda. They had something they wanted to accomplish, but then I was asking for something different. You understand the scenario that was created there for them? You do or you don't? Okay, you do. Just making sure you're with me. This dear saint of a student gets in the boxcar. And she, I, I, she introduces herself. She went through the tell me about yourself, your home, your interests, your family's religious faith, her short brief testimony. And she said, do you believe in God? I said, I have no evidence to believe in God. She said, well, I believe that today you are going to find that evidence. She said, will you please open your Bible with me to John chapter 14, verse 29? And we opened it and we read John chapter 14, verse 29. Jesus says, I tell you things before they take place so that when they do take place, you may what? Believe. Believe. Why do we as Seventh-day Adventists use Bible prophecy all the time? Because that's what builds our faith. Jesus tells us before it happens so that when it does happen, we can what? Believe. Believe. Our faith will grow. Yet we as Seventh-day Adventists have become very complacent in our Bible study. We praise the Lord for the Sabbath school quarterly, but my friends, if all you do is read the questions and the text in the Sabbath school quarterly, you're just going to get a very surface understanding. And then when you get to Sabbath school class, you're going to be like everybody else. You're going to be sharing your opinion rather than Scripture. You want to have a powerful Bible study class? My friends, you look up every one of those references and you read them. And you look in your marginal reference and you chain reference to other places. And then once you chain reference to other places, you get out the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary. How many of you have that big old set of green books in your house? How many of you have the new set in your house? How many of you have it on your computer? We have the resources. My grand grandpa told me a long time ago, he said, boy, because that's what they call you when you're from Alabama. He said, boy... I'm going to give you these commentaries. And your grandma and I paid a lot of money for these. I think they were like $27 a piece that they had to pre-order because they had to have so many orders before they printed them. How many of you remember that? You're old enough to be my grandpa, I guess. So, making friends, not enemies. I love y'all. If it weren't for my grandpa, I wouldn't be here. You understand what I'm saying? So, he gives me those commentaries. I'm as unconverted as a dead stick. I go through a crisis in my life. I take a week's worth of vacation. I was a truck driver. I worked three and a half days a week. So when I took a week's worth of vacation, I had from Sunday 
which was to three and a half days to Wednesday. That was my vacation. Then I was off then. Then I took another three and a half days. So that's my whole week. And then I was off till that following Sunday. You understand? I had a lot of time. And I went down into my basement. And my basement was moldy and nasty. It was a yick. It was a yicky place. But I did my laundry down there and I didn't drop it on the floor. But that's incidental. So I went down there and I dug out of the basement these old green books. They were what? Well, they were green by nature before they were down there. But, uh, you know, the mottled part that was on the, the, the pages, I was thinking, well, maybe that is mold. But I washed my hands before I ate the pizza. I took a week's worth of vacation. I had a two-story house. I took my blankets, my pillows, and I spread out those books on my floor. I ordered Papa John's pizza, had it delivered to my house, and for the next week, I laid on my living room floor eating pizza and studying Bible prophecy. And I've never been the same. God used a crisis in my life to get me interested in His Word. And when I began to study the Bible, I would eat this pizza. And, you know, I don't eat that kind of pizza anymore because the more you study, the more you learn, right? That's why I don't eat fish anymore. But I would eat this pizza and I would read and read and read and read and read and then I'd fall asleep and I'd wake up and, oh, look, there's the pizza. And I'd eat the pizza and I'd read and read and read and read and read and read and read. I was a different man and have been different ever since then. Jesus said, I tell you things before they take place so that when they do take place, you may believe. So this student, I mean, she was just dead on. How do we grow faith? Students will always ask me, how can I get somebody who is an atheist to believe in this book? And my friends, there is evidence enough in here for even an atheist to begin to believe in Scripture. We'll just continue on. Jesus does the same thing there in Luke 24, verses 44 and 45. Now, where did Jesus... Now, you understand, when Jesus came, Jesus came as a baby. Where did Jesus learn how to study the Bible to grow people's faith... Where did he learn that? All right, where did his mama learn it? From her mama. From what? The Old Testament. Turn with me to Isaiah 28, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah 28, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah chapter 28. Verse 9, I want you to notice the questions that are being asked here in verse 9. Isaiah 28, verse 9. We're noticing the questions that are being asked. And the Bible says, whom... Isaiah 28, verse 9, is everybody there? Okay. You know, I believe that the Lord just peers out over heaven when the, words, when the pages of the Bible are being turned. I love that. Can't you just see him looking down? Oh, look at all those people at ASI. They're studying the Bible. Praise the Lord. Verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge. So the question is asked, who is he going to teach knowledge to? Isn't that the question? Then it says, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? So who is he going to teach knowledge to? And who is he going to, help, who is he going to make understand doctrine or teaching? And then it says, those that are weaned from the breast, from, uh, weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Verse 10 gives us Jesus instruction manual on why when he's on the road to Emmaus he would use scripture to grow the faith of those men. He says in verse 10, for precept must be upon precept. What's a precept? 
It's, it's a whisper? It's a what? It's a teaching. It's an idea. One idea or one precept must be upon another precept. Are you understanding that? Then it goes on to say, precept upon precept. Line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. My friends, when we do Bible studies for ourselves, or Bible studies with other people or we're at an evangelistic meeting, and by the way, please don't ever use the excuse of not going to an evangelistic meeting of I've already heard that. I mean, every one of you have sung that song, Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. So if you're going to sing that song, you need to be in that evangelistic meeting. Amen? Amen? Okay, so I lost my train of thought getting on that little thing there. But precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. In these evangelistic meetings or Bible studies, we bounce around like a ping pong ball on a ping pong table at the Olympic Games. Because we are dealing with one idea in one book, and the same idea out of another text in another book, the same idea out of another text in another book. And as you work your way through Scripture, you, like Jesus, are growing the faith in other people's lives, just like He did, those men on the road to Emmaus. The concept is easy. We are lazy. The concept is easy. And some people will say to me, but I'm not lazy. I just don't get enough sleep. Turn off the television. Amen. Now I know I'm talking to the saints, so you're going to have to go back to your church and share that with people to turn the TV off, okay? You go knocking on doors with people and they will, they will say, you know, I don't... I don't have time for a Bible study. All you have to do is ask them, my friend, do you watch any television? I do. How much would you say you watch a day? Oh, about an hour and a half each evening. Well, would you be willing to turn that off for an hour out of one hour out of every seven days so that I could study the Bible with you? Why can't we turn it off so that we can wake up in the morning to grow our faith? We as Christians are handicapped. Not because there's not the power for our faith to grow in the Word of God. It's because we aren't studying the Word of God. Easy concept, isn't it? How about we do this? What, what's my time left? I didn't set a timer here, and, and my phone's in there. What time is it? Somebody? 11.17. 11.17? I get to go to noon, right? Oh, we got plenty of time. Praise the Lord. I want you to turn to John chapter 14, verses 1, 2, and 3. What we're going to do now is we're going to put Jesus' method into practice, and we are going to see if our hearts begin to get excited. Are you ready for this? We are going to take a very simple topic that you all know that every one of you have heard in an evangelistic meeting, and I am, I've been noting the expressions on your face, and if your expression changes and gets happier and more excited during what we're going to do right now, I will know that the Spirit of God is using this book to grow your faith. I mean, may, maybe you came in here and you wanted a do this one, do this two, do this three, do this four, and you've arrived at the utopia of faith. It's not true. You arrive at the utopia of faith, at the second coming of Jesus. But until then, you grow in faith through this book. John chapter 14, verses 1, 2, and 3. Anybody know what this is famous for? What's it famous for? 
Don't whisper. What, what? Jesus' personal promise of his coming. The Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Then he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, if we will stop and think about that verse before we ever get to verse 3, we already know that he's coming back. Because he says, I go to prepare a place for you. How are we going to get to where he has gone if he doesn't come back and get us? One of the things we have to do when we study the Bible in growing our faith, one of the things we have to do is we have to think about what the text is actually saying. That's why many of us don't get much out of Scripture because we sit down and we read and five or six verses later we realize that we were thinking about how our socks didn't match when we tried to get dressed that morning and then we're like, oh man, I missed like five verses, but that's okay, I'll just keep reading. You ever, you ever read something and while you're reading it, you're thinking about something else and, and you don't know what you just read? I mean, it happens all the time. Verse 3, he says, what, this should just be the logical conclusion to what he said at the end of verse 2. I go to prepare a place for you. If he's going to go prepare a place for us, then he must have to take us to where he is. Does that make sense? Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is making us a very bold promise that he will do what? He will, that he will return, that he will come again. How, what is that going to look like? Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Now I see some of your expressions, they haven't changed yet, but we haven't got to the meat yet either. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Y'all are like, I ain't going to change my expression. Mm, I'm going to prove this old southern boy wrong. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says, and when he, speaking of Jesus, had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up out of their sight. While they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their what? Out of their sight. So they're looking, they're beholding. A cloud receives Jesus out of their sight. Verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. How many of you have heard that these two men are angels? Okay, those of you that have never been one of my students before, can you prove to me in Scripture that those two men are angels? You will be able to before you leave this, this room this morning because we're going to dig deep and your expression is going to be like, no way, that's sweet. Or whatever you say when you're a different generation than me. Verse 11, which also said... Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, how was he taken up from them into heaven? In a cloud. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. So the Bible says right here that just like Jesus went up, Jesus is going to what? Jesus is going to come down. That's exactly what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Can anybody quote that? Say it loud, Mr. Naps. Behold, he cometh with what? 
clouds and every eye shall what? Did they see him go up? Will they see him come back? My friends, why are you smiling? Tell me. Do, it's consistent? It's like getting on a very nice mountain bike on a paved road. It's smooth, right? Okay, I don't know why the mountain bike, but that worked. We've always been told that those angels, that those men that were in white apparel were angels. How many of you have the King James Version in here right now? You have the King James Version? Okay, that's what I'm using. And that's what this works out of. If you use another version, you know, praise the Lord, but leave this out of your Bible study, okay? Uh, Psalm 68, 17. Just regular King James. All right, Psalm 68, 17. I'm going to read that to you. Psalm 68, 17. What we are doing right now is we are proving that those clouds are made of angels. Jesus was taken up in this cloud, and all of a sudden two men stand by the disciples in white apparel. Psalm 68, verse 17. Psalm 68, you're already there. I am getting there with you. Psalm 68, verse 17 says this. The chariots... Are you there? Okay. The Bible says the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of what? Angels. So chariots equal what? Okay. Does everybody understand that concept? Okay. So if I put something over here, so we have chariots equal angels, if I put something over here that is equal to an angel, then whatever this is, let me back up, chariots equal angels. If I put something over here that equals angels, maybe I'm messing myself up. Let's go to the next text. Are you understanding the concept here? No, you're not. Okay, that's right. I can explain it because I've done this before. All right, Psalm 104 verse Three. What we just learned is that chariots equal what? Angels. Angels. Okay, good. We've got the concept. Verse 3, Psalm 104, verse 3 says, Who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the what? Clouds his chariot. If if chariots equal angels, and angels angels equal clouds, then angels... Angels equal chariots. Chariots equal clouds. So then, angels equal clouds. Those two men that stood by them in white apparel came out of the clouds. Those two men were what? Angels. By the way, have you ever heard that people say that Ellen White says that Adam and Eve were clothed with a garment of light? Have you ever heard that? Can you prove that in Scripture? Okay, we'll do that real quick. This is not part of this Bible study, you understand, but we'll do that real quick because I see your expressions already beginning to change and I'm just loving it, so I'm going to give you all the good stuff, okay? So, by the way, I want you to understand that while we are doing this, your faith is growing. Okay. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, that Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, right? You're there in Psalm 104, verse 3. Look in verse 2. We'll start in verse 1 just so you can get the context of it. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. They were clothed with a garment of what? You have biblical proof for that. And you're beaming. Because you're like, I got ammunition. I can prove that. That's good. My friends, when you and I get excited about Bible study, we will run all the way back to Jerusalem, even if we just made it to Emmaus and wanted to eat dinner, to tell somebody else about it. When our faith grows, it causes us to share it with somebody else. It causes us. So we, we ask ourselves this question, is my faith growing? Are you excited to tell somebody about what you learned out of Scripture? Then your faith is growing. Are you not excited to tell somebody? Then you're not learning anything out of Scripture. Because when you learn something new, it is automatic, it is innate in you to share it with somebody else. That was Psalm 104. Chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Okay, so now we're going back to our Bible study about the second coming of Jesus. Is everybody back on this, this train here with me? All right, we haven't got to Dallas, Texas yet. Let's go to Matthew 25 and verse 31. Matthew 25. So what we've learned already, we're just piling up a list of facts. Jesus promises to return. That's the foundation. When he returns, people are going to be able to see him. He's going to come back in the clouds. Every eye will be able to see him. The clouds are angels. We're just piling up facts. And then we make a logical conclusion based on those facts. All right. Uh, Matthew 25 and verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31 says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. How many of those angels are going to come with Jesus when He comes back to fulfill that promise, which is the foundation of this Bible study? All of them. Now we're going to take just another little caveat that is incredible. I want you to hold your finger there in Matthew. We'll come. Now, nah, let it go. You found it once. You can find it again. Go all the way to the book of the Revelation, chapter 4. Revelation, chapter 4. Revelation, the fourth chapter. I want you to read with me verse 8. Verse 8 says in Revelation chapter 4, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day nor night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Say it with, say it with me. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Say it again. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Over and over and over, day after day after Today, these angels are singing this in the courts of heaven. Look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1 says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Dear friend, you tell me, why is there silence in heaven? Because all the angels... Sister, tell me your heart's not burning. All the angels are with Jesus 
fulfilling his promise to take us back to heaven. All of them. Now, you remember, how many angels moved the stone away from Jesus' tomb? One angel moved the stone. When that angel came down to move that stone, what happened to the Roman guard? They fell down like dead men. One angel, an entire Roman guard falls down like dead men. What do you think it's going to be like when every last angel comes out of glory land to this earth to get us? What's going to happen? Islands are going to disappear. The wicked are going to be destroyed. Mountains are going to fall down. Because Jesus is coming with all the angels. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 26. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 9 and verse 26. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 26... He says, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory. Whose glory is he coming in? His own own glory. And then it says there, And in his father's. In his father's what? What's the implication? You're thinking, I love that, you're thinking about what the text is saying. He's coming in his own glory and in his father's and of the what? The holy angels, my friends, why does the world fall apart when all of glory land is emptied of the angels and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit when they get here? Because of all the power that is coming. You know, one, one friend said to me, I haven't found the biblical proof for this yet, but can I share it with you anyway? Maybe you, can, maybe you have the biblical proof and you can just give it to me. But you know, Ellen White says that when Jesus comes, there's going to be a little black cloud about the size of a man's fist. And my friend said to me, do you know why that cloud is black? I said, I don't. He said, because it's traveling faster than the speed of light. And when it gets here and all that energy catches up with the glory of the Father, the glory of Jesus, the glory of the angels, the earth is made desolate. <clears throat> I'm ready for Jesus to come to you. All right, we, we've spent enough on this. Psalm 50 verse 3 says, The Lord shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. That's what we learn there in Psalm 50 and verse 3. Jeremiah 4, 26. At the second coming of Jesus, the Bible says, I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void. The earth is destroyed at the presence of Jesus because he's coming not only with his glory, but the glory of the angels, the glory of the Father. And my friends, one angel put down a whole Roman guard. Just imagine the glory. Isn't that exciting, my brother? You can see it, ain't it? Mm, I love it. What can we ask ourselves while we study the Bible in order for our faith to grow in this book, in the author of this book? The first question you need to ask is what? Seriously. Ask yourself, what does the verse say? So let's go back to John chapter 14. Let's just use that one. Or let's go to John 3.16. Let's do that. That's a pretty famous verse for most of us. John chapter 3 
and you're in Florida. You know, it's famous for that fella down there at the University of Miami, I think it is, that, that throws the football. I don't know what his name is. John chapter 3, verse 16. He, he writes it on his eyelids, you know. Well, John chapter 4 won't help me. John chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to ask ourselves a simple question. We're going to ask what? What does the text literally say? Remember, Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says that faith is what overcomes the world. So the reason we study the Bible is to grow our faith so we can overcome the world. So what does the text say? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What does the verse say? Tell me. What was that? That God loved the world. Okay, there's a fact. God loved the world. Yes, ma'am? It tells us how much God loved the world. What else does it say? That you need faith for eternal life, that he gave us his son. What else does it say? Anybody can be saved. What was that? We have to be believers. We have to be believers. Okay, now you know, yes, what was it, Daniel Pepperini? Oh, eternal death is the alternative or the opposite of everlasting life. Have you ever thought that John chapter 3 verse 16 is one of the best verses to put in a state of the dead Bible study? Because the opposite of eternal life is perishing, not eternal punishing. Isn't that powerful? All you got to do is think about the verse. Continuing on here. So what or why? What? Why did Jesus put this verse in Scripture? Three simple questions. What, so what, or why? Why did he put it in there? Okay, so he, he put that in there so that we could understand that he loved us so much that he would give his son so that we could be with him for eternity. Would somebody else like to add something to that? I think he loved us more than his son. You think he loved us more than his son? Hmm. Let me ask, do you have children? No, I have pets. You have pets. Okay, do you have nieces, nephews? Yes. Okay, nieces and nephews. We'll go with that, Okay. Uh, because that, that would relate probably to more of us than in this room. So we'll just use a niece or a nephew. Let's suppose that you could die and save the world. Or your niece or your nephew could die and save the world. Who would you choose to save the world? It depends on my state and my love. Because Let's suppose you're God. There's no greater love than someone who lays down their life for another. So that would be the right choice. But I might be selfish. I might not. Okay, let's say you are God. Nieces and nephews or whatever. You know, I might like my life better than theirs. But the, the right answer is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so in that position, it will take a millennium to understand that love. For me as a parent, I would die before I would let my child die. Did you hear um, Dr. Uh, Riesenberg? That was his whole message this last week. Well, praise the Lord. That was a wonderful message. You should listen. Have you ever shook hands with that guy? I've seen him only once before. 
He is solid as a rock. I would die before I would let my child die. That's what's his premise. And God loved us so much that instead of coming down here and doing it himself, I forget what book it is, I think it's Selected Messages, said that three times the Father's glory encircled Christ as they were discussing who was going to come down here to save humanity. Jesus went in with a perplexed look, and when he left, he had a look of peaceful serenity. And he told the angels about the plan of salvation. And they wept. God loved us so much. That's why this verse is in there. Now you want to get something out of Scripture? Now what? What are you going to do with what the text says? This is where we take this book and we begin to hide it in our hearts. What am I going to do with that promise? Now, this is incredible. We began getting excited about the Bible study on the second coming, and your expressions changed. It's true, when you study the Bible like Jesus did, your faith grows, even if you've heard the message over and over and over again. And now we are asking these three questions, and it was so quiet in here just a moment ago that you could have heard a pin drop on this carpet. Because when we ask, what does the text say? Why does the text say that? And then what am I going to do with, that, that, with what that text said? It becomes extremely real to me. Then we will know that we have sat down in an audience chamber with the Creator God and that He is real. You know, it's amazing. We just finished the, or we're finishing the ASI Youth for Jesus program. How many of you have ever heard of ASI Youth for Jesus? Oh, we praise the Lord that you trusted us with your children this year and have decided to do so again next year. But some of the students for ASI Youth for Jesus will come. They came this year not being interested in doing anything spiritual. But for four hours a day, they had uh, one hour worship in the morning. They had two hours worth of Bible study class in the morning. In the afternoon, they spent all day on outreach until the evangelistic meeting where they got their fourth hour of Bible study. And people that were asking when they got there, what can I do to get kicked out, were saying, I am so glad that I am in this program. My friends, this book changes our perspective on life. This book, when we study it, when we actually ask, what does it say? Why does it say it? And what am I going to do with it? And we make that personal application to our life, our faith grows. And I realize that I'm, I don't know, maybe the Lord wanted me just to do this first class on growing your faith. Or what's, the, what's our big, huge theme in this class? 
No, no, no. The one underneath that that is going to occur in this room. Growing our faith. That's the whole title for this, right? Spiritual growth. My friends, we can't have spiritual growth apart from this book. Oh, we can grow, and we can grow by a spirit, but it won't be the right one. We must be familiar, intimately familiar with what this book says. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at five different steps to understand the Bible. For those of you that are very uh, engineering-minded, this will appeal to you because we have a logical sequence of steps. It's very cool. The Bible can only be understood with the aid of the Holy Spirit. Let's go in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. And then the Lord just reminded me of a text that I found one morning when I was studying. And it just oh, it caught my attention. So you remind me to go to Proverbs chapter 1, okay? Otherwise, I'll forget it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. The Word of God says, First, you want to trade? You got it. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things, verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing, notice this, notice this, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. My friends, Paul is just reminding us of Isaiah chapter 28. We must compare one idea with another idea. When we do this, the Spirit of God speaks to us and helps us to understand this book whereby our faith does what? It grows. I feel like I'm preaching rather than teaching. Do you feel like that? Well, praise the Lord. Nothing, nothing wrong with a good sermon. Okay, now, what am I supposed to tell you? Okay, let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. This is cool. Proverbs chapter 1. Do you like studying the Bible? Oh, I love it. People ask me what I do for fun. Study the Bible. Look at this. Isaiah, or not Isaiah, but Proverbs chapter, 20, chapter 1, verse 23. Proverbs 21, 23. Nope, Proverbs 1, 23. Turn you at my reproof. So the Lord says, I'm going to reprove you. I'm going to tell you that you're doing something wrong and you need to do what? You need to turn. You need to change. He says, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. My friends, you and I must be willing to follow the divine light that God gives to us. If we are willing to follow what he has revealed to us, he says, turn you at my reproof. If we're willing to follow what he reveals to us, behold, he says, I will pour out my spirit unto you. And when his spirit is poured out onto us, then what will we be able to do? Understand the what? The Bible. The Bible. Many times we will read in this book that we should honor the Sabbath, that we should not make any manservant or maidservant or cattle or stranger or anything that is within our gates, yet we will go out to eat on Sabbath saying, it's less work than if I make it myself on Friday. And then we will say, I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of my devotions. My friends, we can't rebel against God and expect God to share anything else with us. And I'll tell you why. 
Because when God reveals truth to us and we reject it, he is so merciful, he won't let us understand anything else because in the judgment, he will have to punish us for that. It is the mercy of God whereby some of us will be deceived that we would believe even a lie. Look at this, John chapter 7, verse 17. Now, what I really love is some of you just got that crinkled look on your forehead like, I disagree with that, but we're going to see it right here. John chapter 7, verse 17. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 7. How many of you as parents have ever told your child, if you do that, then I'm going to do this, and immediately when it came out of your mouth, you regretted saying it? Because you knew they were going to do it. Do you wish you'd never told them that? I mean, I'm not talking about a life or death situation. You did not finish your dinner, and if you eat that piece of candy, you're not going to get the next meal. Now what do you have to do? you got to follow through, don't you? Do you wish you'd never said you won't get the next meal? Do you wish you had said, I won't like it? You didn't eat all your dinner, so you can't have that candy. And if you eat that candy, I won't like it. Wouldn't that be easier to follow through on? God, in His mercy, if we reject the truth that He has already shared with us, if we do not turn at his reproof, he will send us a strong delusion that we would believe even a lie. Because in the judgment, he will have to punish us for what we rejected. And if he continues to reveal it to us, we get punished for that, and for that, and for that. Does that make sense? Does it? You with me? Think so? All right. John chapter 7, verse 17. The Bible says, If any man will do his will, if any man will what? Do his will. So God reveals divine light to us. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine or the teaching, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Jesus said, if you want to know the truth, you must obey what God is already sharing with you. Because if you don't, look at Luke chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke. So we're turning to the left. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And we are going to verse 47. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 12 and verse 47. And that servant, Luke 12, 47, which knew his Lord's will. So is this somebody that's ignorant or somebody that knows? Somebody that knows. And that servant which, the Lord, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with what? Many stripes. So if we know something and we reject it, we will be beaten with what? Many stripes. What does it say there in verse 48? But, in total opposition to what we just learned, but he that knew not... And did commit things worthy of stripes. So, 
they both do the same thing. One knows better and one doesn't. The one that knows better is beaten with what? Many stripes. His punishment is more severe. Would you agree with that? All right. Verse 20, 38, 48 says, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with what? Few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. It's a heavy thought. To think that God himself would send us a strong delusion that we would believe a lie because we would reject his truth. It's time that we as Seventh-day Adventists had a faith that was growing that was not dead. Faith without corresponding works is what? Do you know where you find that? You know what chapter? You know what verse? What is it? You want to stand on that? You sure? Was that a mm hmm? Okay, what does it say? Read it to me. James chapter 2, verse 26. He's going, he's going to put his faith on that verse. When God asks us to do something, when we are studying the Bible, if we want our faith to grow, we will do it. Now, God is not an unreasonable God. You remember Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. He says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. So God wants us to interact with him. Yes, sir. What is dead? What is dead? Yeah. Faith without works is dead. Well, dead means you're not alive. You're the Proverbs guy, aren't you? I've been reading Proverbs ever since Southern Union ASI. We'll make it quick. Dead. Tell me. The faith. Of course. Yeah. It's dead faith. Instead of just having that faith. That's right. Praise the Lord. So we must be willing to follow divine light. By the way, he, he gave a testimony back at ASI Southern Union that every morning he read through Proverbs. And my wife can testify to this. I'll, I'll, I'll tell her sometimes in the morning, be like, hey, check this verse out in Proverbs. And when you read Proverbs, it's powerful, brother. I want to thank you for that testimony. It's, it's helped me a lot, and I appreciate that. All right. Scripture. Yes, sir. You had mentioned about delusion. Yeah. Isaiah 66, what? The end of three, or uh, the end of verse three, leading into verse four. We have a King James that actually uses the word better, I believe. And it says, just as they have chosen their own ways, which will delight their abominations. Now, in the New King James, it says, so will I choose their delusions. I believe the King James says, I will allow them to be delusions. It says, yea, I have chosen, they, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth. This is Isaiah 66, three. Right at the end, and their soul delighteth in their abominations is what it says. So it's true. God himself will send us a strong delusion that we would believe a lie because God is so merciful, he doesn't want to punish us in the judgment for what we rejected. 
So he blinds us to it. We must be willing to follow divine light if we want our faith to grow. We can't know God is asking us to do something and refuse to do it and then complain and whine because we don't have strong faith. That's just barbaric, I guess. Scripture... Sure, it's the same as hardening the heart. Absolutely. So, Scripture must harmonize with itself. Now, I'll just tell you what these verses say. Luke chapter 23, verse 43 is where the thief is on the cross, right? And the thief on the cross, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, today you shall be with me in paradise. So, that's what it says. But if we are just reading through Scripture very casually, we will think that that thief and Jesus went where that day? No, we will think that they went to paradise. Then we will think that paradise is heaven. That's absolutely right. You've got to stick with the text, right? What does the text say? Now, I see you all smiling. You're loving that. Well, you know, make sure you have the right... Anyway, John 20, verse 17. Mary comes to Jesus. He fi she finally figures out that this is Jesus at the tomb there. He's been resurrected. And he says, Do not detain me. Do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. So had Jesus gone to heaven? No. So then, if we want Scripture to harmonize with itself, we will either say that Jesus didn't go to heaven or that paradise is someplace different from heaven. And my friends, you hear this. This is why you have to have that faith that continues to study Scripture so that you can answer people when they want to know, well, well then where's paradise? If paradise isn't where God is, and you're like, woo! mercy. We've got to keep going with this. And so we do. You go to Revelation chapter 2 verse 7. I need to read that. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. I'm speeding up here a little bit because I just got a couple minutes. Revelation chapter 2 verse 7 says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Where's the tree of life? Ah, thank you, thank you. Where's the tree of life? Paradise. Stick with the text. Because people are, going to, people are going to say, no, it doesn't say heaven. It says paradise. So the tree of life is where? Paradise. paradise. Now go to Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. It says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Who sits on the throne of God? God the Father. And who sits beside him? Jesus. Sticking with the text? The lamb, and according to John 1, 29, the lamb is... Jesus. Okay, very nice, very nice. We've got all these, thus saith the Lord, that's what we want. Then it says, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. The tree of life was in the paradise, paradise of God. The tree of life is where the throne of God is. So when Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto thee today, thou shalt be with me in paradise... Or it actually reads, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Scripture has to harmonize with itself. So Jesus didn't go to the Father in John 20, 17. Because the Father is where the tree of life is. And the tree of life is where paradise is. So did the thief go to paradise that day? No, my friends, when you and I make Scripture harmonize with itself in order to understand it, and we do, we have to get an idea from here, a precept from there, a line from here, and it will make sense. Let's just continue on here. Number four, we've only got five here. Context must be considered. You remember the story of Lazarus? Lazarus dies, or he's sick. His sisters sin for Jesus. While Jesus is tarrying, Lazarus dies. Jesus knows this, and Jesus tells the disciples, Lazarus is sleeping. 
And the disciples are excited because you know what it's like when you're sick and then all of a sudden you just get asleep. It's, you fall asleep, it just feels so good, doesn't it? You know what that feels like? Okay, good. Praise the Lord. So if we stopped right there where it says that he was sleeping, we would think that Lazarus was getting better. Then Jesus says plainly, Lazarus is dead. We have to have the context to understand Scripture. Number five, Scripture must interpret itself. We've already been through that. Revelation 1-7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he left in the clouds, he's coming back in the clouds. Well, what are the clouds? They're the angels. My friends, Jesus says to us, great controversy. Satan well knows that all whom he can lead to neglect prayer and the searching of the Scriptures will be overcome by his attacks. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, that faith is the victory that overcomes this world. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. If we want our faith relationship with Jesus to be growing, we can't live on opinions. We must live on a thus saith the Lord. Amen. And this ASI experience that you're gaining here, you don't have to leave it in this room. You don't have to leave the blessing in that big convention hall. You can take this home with you and apply it and your faith will grow and your faith will overcome the world. And you, my friends, will be a victorious ASI member. What do you say? Amen. Has this been helpful? Yes. Are you going to use it? Yes. They've passed out a survey. They would like you to fill out that survey, I guess, to see if you like the class or not and you can't lie. So you just said you enjoyed it, so we praise the Lord for that. <laughs> Let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you so much that you have given us a book that contains evidence that we can base our faith on, that it is consistent, that the claims that it makes are accurate and verifiable. And Father, we pray that you will be with us as members of your remnant church, as members of ASI National. Father, we pray that you will make us be those bright, shining lights and that we too will turn the world upside down. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.